Welcome back to the show. It's so awesome to be back with you guys. This episode tonight, it's one of the ones I told you about here in the month of May. I'm dropping this uh, tonight about midnight, and uh, this is how I'm going to celebrate my birthday with all the listeners. I know you're happy I'm back. I'm happy to be back. So um, celebrate with me on the 18th of this month by giving this episode a spin. Listen, it's about an hour and 40 minutes long. It is worth every single moment. This one will have you hanging on the edge of your chair. Let's jump right into it. I'm not going to waste any more time. You guys seen the title, the heading, Gary Wayne is back again. And let's just say, (laughs) this is one for the records. Let's go. Gary, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. Well, thank you for inviting me back. So happy to be, you know, having another discussion with you and hoping that we can touch on some things with the audience that, you know, will maybe answer a few questions and hopefully raise a few more eyebrows. Our last episode, I listened to it a few times and it raised many more questions. It's always an adventure talking with you. I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Hitler and some of this conspiracy and then just kind of let it go where it will from there. I've heard you speak on this topic before. It seems like the history books cover so much and they scrub the internet of certain information, but there's a lot of reason to believe it's much darker and there's many more details about this story. Yeah. You know, the uh, World War II, which is kind of an extension and the finishing of World War One was resetting the whole world order and it sort of got out of hand and both communism and then nazism sort of went rogue on the banks that were funding both of the organizations that were just designed to maybe give the western europeans a little bit more influence but with the nazis it gets really sort of weird and strange if i can put it that way and so much so that Winston Churchill and the Allies deemed at the Nuremberg trials and all of the subsequent trials that they were not going to permit the testimony of certain aspects of the Nazi organizational structure and their beliefs and their religion, how that all worked in terms of what they were doing, because it was so far out there that they were afraid that if they permitted the testimony that the the Nazis that were on trial could legitimately, through their lawyers, then submit innocence by virtue of insanity. That's how far out there that it actually is. But once you peel back the onion in terms of understanding what really goes on in this world, It makes a lot of sense as to how the Nazis were able to rise to power so quickly. But it's interesting, though, that because of that, because of the decision to not permit it and to keep the information classified, you're right, it didn't make the history books. The information is out there, I think, for the last, you know, 15 or 20 years Mm -hmm. after it was declassified. But it is it is stranger than fiction. It is it is bizarro world when you dig into it. And it almost feels like the information is widely acceptable today with everything that we've seen being assisted by technology. That's really why I wanted to get into the topic. The Nazi regime, Hitler, they're making declaration of the alien religion. So they're saying of themselves, hey, you know, we're in this alien cult. And um, 
you know, there's this Aryan race and we're getting, you know, detailed information, which is leading them to operate in genocide. I forget how many he was claimed to have killed uh, six million, I think, Jews and then, the, you know, a million others. But it's just it's yeah, yeah. really bizarre. And Gary, with everything that, you know, we see the news, you, you, you hear about them talking about the unexplained phenomenons, the UFOs, whatever they call them now. I think it's unidentified aerial phenomena. That's like on every other news channel a few times a week, at least from what I see. And it's bizarre because you're right, 10, five years ago, that was not very common. So I think people are really waking up to the fact that the truth is way stranger than fiction. And like Chuck Missler used yeah. to say, there's clearly a managed agenda taking place. Yeah. Where would you kind of start was... us off with this whole conspiracy? I'm really interested in, do you think Hitler committed suicide, you know, based on these dental records in his bunker in Germany? Or do you think he fled the country? If there was any way to get out, he would have gotten out. There's no doubt about it. And it would have been pre-planned and all set to go, even though they were trying to show all of this confidence that they would win even sort of at the end. I'm, I'm comfortable either way. I don't think, you know, he's alive today. I, I don't think he's going to be the end time antichrist. You know, he seems to be, according to... And this will make more sense as we talk, get into a little bit more of the details of what was going on in Nazi Germany. He was thought to be by the Rosicrucians and the secret societies and the polytheists um, at his apex to being the second Antichrist figure of the Rosicrucian Nostradamus, who predicted three Antichrist figures, one being Napoleon, the second one being Hitler, and then the end time Antichrist. Wow. So he's an archetype antichrist figure which makes a whole lot of sense when we look at the analogy that we ought to be looking at for what the end time is going to look like so let's have a little bit you know closer look in terms of what was the makeup of the nazi and their and their belief system i won't spend a lot of time on the on the funding of the banks and down that rabbit hole and i think a lot of people know that the banks are you know heavily connected into the true wealth of the world and they're the sort of the visual arm of the secret societies and the royal bloodlines so where this starts to intersect knowing that they were being funded by them to counter communists that got out of control um, it starts to make some sense if you understand that there was several secret society organizations that was handling kind of the political makeup in terms of how they were going to rise to power. So you have like the German and Orden uh, secret society, the Thule society, which a Thule society is either a different antediluvian civilization that was more centered uh, in the north, let's say akin to Asgard, or it is a alternative name to Atlantis but either way they're thought to be Aryans and Aryans were also is the same name that was labeled with the demigod offspring that we would call Nephilim out of the Bible the giants the antediluvian giants who were the kings and the most populous people before the flood and were in control of the 10 nation state empire that was trying to become a world government before the flood so you have this Aryan uh, philosophy, you have the secret societies and the Gnostic type of religions that we're going to come to in a second that is forming in, in the organization to the rise of the Nazis. And you have 
a sort of nexus point into that they're going to go rogue for away from any sort of form of Christianity and they're going to start the Rice Church in 1933. What's important to understand about that is Gnosticism is the older format of the polytheist religion mm-hmm. um, of the secret societies. The secret societies also create, and particularly the Rosicrucians, they create a religion called Theosophy, which most people are familiar with, which is their end goal is to be the end time universal religion that is able to merge with science um, because they, they all come out of the same source of knowledge that comes from before the flood. What the, the Nazis do, though, is, is they're going to go a little bit rogue from theosophy as well. And so it's going to be something called Ariosophy. So that's basically compounding theosophy and in the Aryan um, belief system. And the Aryan belief system has a mix of not only Arianism in there, it has Vril that has to do with the blood that they have a big belief in, and Volkisch. Uh, German Volkish uh, history, as well as Grail ideology. So it's a com- it's a merging of all of this to to create something different than Theosophy that has this Norse German overlay to it and a slant to it. What's important to understand is this is the same religion that is the progressive religion that is rising in North America. It's very much akin to that, that, that same kind of movement. So you should look towards globalism as being nationalism on a globalist scale that's going to have a similar kind of national socialism, which is a left-wing political organization. So it's important, though, as we get back into this sort of religious aspect, is that they believe that they were the descendants of Thule. They were the descendants of Nephilim. They were the blonde hair, blue-eyed version that they were trying to recreate by trying to do several things in terms of, you know, trying to work back uh, through science some way to create the original blood um, and the DNA that would permit them to take the same sort of size and superior nature and or working through genetics moving forward, which is the more commonly understood but understand they were working it in both directions that uh, would create the new man which is the new nephilim right they're trying to create the superior race and this is uh, always a left-wing belief that you 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 have to isolate everybody and create people you can persecute so that you can keep people focused on things uh, other than what you're actually doing so this is a uh, a good archetype for what's going to be happening in the end time because Hitler becomes an antichrist type figure, right? And he's got this religion he wants to put over the Third Reich that he has ambitions to take over the whole world. And you have the genocides that are predicted in, in the book of Revelation, uh, which is called the tribulation, as opposed to the wrath of God. They're two different concepts, and there's a couple of tribulations that are going on. The the history that happens in World War II is almost like a you know a reflection of the end time, or a, you know a coming sort of birth pang, but a very very weak because it's before the fig tree generation. But it's it's 
typically, you know, it gives us that sort of analogy. Now, what's really interesting is in this religion is that they talk to their ascended masters. So the people at the top, the adept level of the religion and the secret societies that are running this, this theological state are talking to ascended masters that are understood in a variety of different sort of labels and names. One are, you know, uh, past people who have ascended to this level who are communicating with uh, their, their descendants. Other ones would look at them as the spirits of the Raphaim and the Nephilim. Some people elevate it to being the uh, the fallen angels that they're communicating with. Some people will say that these are the spirit guides and the aliens that they're that they're talking to. But they openly admitted that they're talking to these ascended great white masters, the great white brotherhood, and they're receiving knowledge from them. And the knowledge is becoming manifested in the development of a military and technological set of ideas that gets manifested into weapons of war that cannot be explained. So if you look at Germany going into uh, World War II and you look at 19, you know, 30 to 33 where, where Hitler is coming into power, this is a bankrupt nation and no army. Yeah. And by 1939, the whole world is in fear that they're going to take over the planet. And so they develop mm -hmm. this blitzkrieg strategy that comes out of nowhere, but it's perfectly designed for the weapons of war that they're going to develop. They're going to develop like the tiger tank and they're going to develop the panzer tank, which is the same model of this low profile that they use today for the tanks. That's how far advanced that it was. You know, if they could produce, more of those tanks in the numbers they would have easily won the war just with that weapon because it was almost impossible to take them out they had to you know basically gang up on them to try and be able to take them out so it was only numbers and the cost of them that prevented them from having a significant advantage but it goes beyond that it they were developing rocket ships or you know missiles mm -hmm. and they were developing working on nuclear weaponry in terms of the atomic bomb they were developing the jet engine they were developing the single plane airplane that we you know we recognize today um, that's in the u.s air force and this is all the basis for the technology that came across to the u.s in operation paperclip to continue the space, not the spaceship, but the uh, the program of going into space, the jet engines, mm -hmm. the uh, you know all of the modern aircraft that that uh, isn't uh, um, you know able to be picked up on radar that we have today, and they also developed some sort of bell-shaped thing that um, is thought to have been, and this is just speculation because we don't have it, um, we're not sure where it went or who took it. Probably the Americans, but it could be the communists too, but more likely the Americans. And this was thought to be able to. Uh, do a number of things, but more importantly, it was almost like a interdimensional uh, craft um, and or a time machine, as some people might look at it. But again, because we don't know exactly what it was or what they were developing. What we do know, though, is if they had enough time to develop these weapons, they would have won easily. Yeah, I mean, 
the V1, the V2 rockets, right? And then the A10, yeah. which they found on drawing boards that could have reached the U.S. coast. It, it's, it's perplexing that back in, you know, he becomes chancellor in 1933. And like you said, this is a bankrupt nation prior to Hitler rising up to power. And literally, they have the whole world shaking, you know, and, and they coax us into World War II. I think it's interesting the things that, you know, Hitler declares himself. The alien cult, extraterrestrials, you know, they're, they're literally yeah. serving these, I don't know, elder race or fallen angels or, or aliens. What I've heard them called a couple different things, but, you know, clearly they have the infrared sensors. You know, some of the technology still <laughs> wasn't, the masses didn't get a chance to use. And we're only talking 10 years ago, it became common knowledge. But anyway, not to get <laughs> off topic, but. General Lee Bird, you know, he does his flight, right? And he has his flight log. Do you think that's very close to what Hitler's describing as these Nordic gods that they, you know, that's in their pantheon of worship? Because these are, you know, said to be mystic beings that have a base in Antarctica. And I hope everybody knows that story. If you guys never heard of General um, Lee Bird's flight log, you know, his, his travels to Antarctica, go check that one out. But it, that's what it reminds me of when I when I hear some of the stuff that Hitler is describing this Aryan race, blonde hair, blue eyes, tall. They're these underground superhumans. Yeah. What kind of correlation do you draw from that? I think there's definitely a connection mm -hmm. there. I think if people think about what Admiral Byrd has published, and if you haven't sort of perused that material, you can sort of easily Google it. I think you need to match that up. So what's going on today, what Ad Admiral Byrd was talking about. And so you have all of over the last 10 years and they keep going down there. They go yeah, it's so one weird. after another of all the political leaders. Then they come back. They don't say what they saw, but the sort of information that sort of comes out of it is, is that what is understood as being there just as the Nazis were, you know, sort of thought to have had a military base, a naval base for their submarines and mm -hmm. uh, things there. Um, and they had originally discovered with it, I think you're referencing, but what is there is thought to be able to overturn every preconceived notion. Oh, wow. And so it, it is one of those things that is going to change everybody's position as, as sort of the thought. So I think how to control it and and who these people are and how are we you know how we might be interacting is is really really important so the main sort of modern understanding of what might be going on down there is it has a connection that goes back into prehistory some because you get speculation of pyramids and ancient knowledge and ancient people but also a connection to the aliens so there seems to be sort of both things that are being intermixed, sort of similar to the ancient alien sort of mythos, right? And the only difference between the ancient alien mythos to what is recorded in most religions and or the Bible is the degree of being that these aliens are. And so in the ancient alien mythos, they just sort of represent them as these really advanced um beings that you know are you know akin to humankind they may look differently they come from different areas but they are just you know been around for so long they're they're very well advanced as opposed to being angels or gods and but 
the thing is with that is, is that's a little bit superficial because mm-hmm. in the alien mythos, you get a number of different kinds of aliens that are in some sort of hierarchical order. And you get an intermixing again of sort of beings and names like the Anunnaki and the Watchers, again, is kind of intermixed into the alien mythos, but just sort of at the upper level of these very technologically advanced beings. But from what we understand, these are these are the gods and the fallen angels who procreated the giants that the Nazis said that their lineage goes back to. And... Mm. You also have lower level ones, though. So you have, and I won't go through, because I don't know them all, but I won't go through too long of a list of different kinds of aliens, but you have, you know, some quite taller sort of reptilian looking ones that are there. Some people think that those are, you know, descendants of the giants from the seraphim serpent faced angels who procreated or the dragon gods or the plume serpent gods of the Kishamaya and mm-hmm. all the different types of serpent gods around the world. Another classification is ones that are just a little bit taller than humans. And they're called also reptilians that sort of live in the earth. And, and that's interesting because in the occult, you have uh, an organizational structure as well, where you have the elementals at the mm-hmm. bottom, so below the Nephilim and below the demon spirits. And there are four groups of elementals. Most people are familiar with three of them. I'll come back to that in a second. But the fourth one is taller than the elementals, which are little people for the most part. And these are called salamanders, which are you know, a little bit taller than humans and, and, and live in the earth, but thought to be some sort of alien breed or some ancient race, depending on which line of thought that you're coming on it. The little people, the elementals, these are also recorded in the in, in, in the Bible as being elementals that have power and are part of the hierarchy and or the rudiments as they're also recorded in certain chapters in, 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 in the New Testament. And Within the elementals, you have three groups of these little peoples. You have ugly ones, you have good-looking ones, you have mischievous ones like the leprechauns. And within the ugly ones, you get uh, ones that show up in like, and I'll use this as a, in a particular reference to the Norse ideology, the Lord of the Rings is about the time before the flood and with the Norse slant. So very much sort of Asgardian type of in terms of, uh, and, the, and that, that Volkish uh, ideology that that the uh, that the Nazis had. So you have several groups of these ugly ones, and some of them are like dwarves who made weapons for uh, the demigods and lived in the mountains, just as they're depicted in Lord of the Rings. You have some white elves that are in there, and white elves are different than the elementals. They look exactly like the Tuatha Du Danann, only they don't show them quite as large, just as the Aryans were Tuatha Du Danann um, and classified as the same people. And the ones who were blonde hair and blue eyed migrated up the Danube River where the red hair, hazel eyed ones kind of stayed in the Romania area over into Russia and over into Mongol and over into Ireland. But the same sort of group of people that show up after, after the flood. And you also have another group in there that is really interesting as it connects back to aliens is that you have a group called the gnomes. 
And the gnomes looked after all of the technology of the ancient organizational structure, both before and then again after the flood, and that they kept the genealogies of the demigods and the kings. They also kept all of the knowledge. Uh, so they were very, very important. And these are ones that are called, uh, you know, fairies, but particularly these are fairies that have flying machines that come through portals, just as a lot of what happens in the alien mythos is, is the spaceships come through a portal versus from another galaxy, thus from another dimension. And these little fairies would come through these fairy portals or fairy domains, and you can Google domain, D-O-L-M-E-N, and it'll show this mini Stonehenge uh, type shape, which you have a domain all over the world. They're also called, the portals are also called Shays, S-I-D-H-E, which is like the people of the, the writers of the Shay, which are the two Danan. So it's a Shay people, two Danan people, and it's also a portal and or a fairy mound. But, but they would fly through these portals uh, throughout history and kidnap people. And they would do sexual experimentation on people. And what's amazing about these kidnappings and these spaceships that they're coming through and they're identical description to a description of the greys in the alien mythos kidnapping people and what's really important is that the people are described as the same in fact they're called in in scotland the gray neighbors but typically the gray gnomes and I put a couple of examples of those abductions in, in my book. And the descriptions of these little people are identical to the gray aliens, and they do the same thing. So I guess what I'm saying is, is there's a larger sort of group of beings that are here that are in a certain hierarchy um, in terms of where they fit in the pecking order on, on controlling things, and that it seems to be related to ancient beings. And so I think this is starting to come come to a head, particularly when you have this ideology that um, you have you've had the government speaking with the Anunnaki or the watchers for a very long period of time. And that we're, as you've mentioned, we're getting, you know, like in Fox News, for example, it's making the, the shows on a regular basis that they're updating us. So they're preparing us for whatever information that they have. But I guess I would advise people to look at things in a very critical eye is dig deeper and ask questions when more of this information comes about is are they telling us the truth about who they are or should we be digging a little bit deeper i think the fact that they didn't come right out and tell us from the gate you know they being government or groups of people being very transparent with public record depicting any encounters i think that that's enough reason to proceed with caution and really take a look at what's going on use our critical thinking so you said a couple key things there. i remember derek gilbert was on last year or maybe it was the year before and he talked about the dolmens that are all over uh, israel and they, there's a weird connection but all of this stuff and i'm trailing right there with you you brought up the lord of the rings right i mean who doesn't like the lord of the rings i mean anybody who's listening to this show they love it but here's the thing i got a question for you in regards to just the ideology that tolkien you know was a christian and um was entertaining us with you know his writings of all these travels of these mystical creatures and and entities from a time's past the reason i bring that up is i've heard some controversial topics where 
certain pastors will talk about, oh, there's good spirits and bad spirits. And I think that can be shown in the word within the context of there's the council. Uh, the one spirit is in the group and says, hey, I'm going to go down and I think he said deceive the prophets of Ahab or something like that. You know, we see Job in the middle of the night. I think it's Job 4. A spirit glides past him in the middle of the night. His hair stands up on end. It says something along the lines of, can a mere man be more righteous than his maker? So we do see spirits that come from the courtrooms of heaven and interact with us here on earth. And even King Saul in David's time, there was a tormenting spirit that God allowed to go to King Saul. But what I'm getting at is, do any of these entities or spirits have a physical vessel that we may encounter? Are there good guys and bad guys? Or are they pretty much all bad? It's us. The image bearers of God versus them. Well, what's your take on that? In terms of spirits, I think you have obviously good spirits, as in the loyal angels, because they're spirit beings in heaven, and you have the the Nephilim of the Shamaim, the fallen ones of heaven, who rebelled, right? And they're spirit beings as well. Uh, you also have a, a, a lower grade of demonic spirits that are the offspring not the offspring, but are the spirits of the bodiless giants that whose spirits aren't permitted to sleep like humans are. Humans sleep until whichever resurrection that we're going to be part of. The spirits that are the counterfeit, counterfeit spirit passed on to uh, the Nephilim and the Raphaim, their spirits aren't permitted to sleep because they're a counterfeit spirit and they're not permitted into heaven. So these are the demons. These are the devil spirits that are talked about that Jesus is dealing with in the in the New Testament. Yes. which goes back to the Greek word daemon, evil spirits, devil spirits. Um, they're they're talking about the same group of spirits, just with different names, and often even in the same verse. And it's not the same as satan which is diabolos as the devil mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a specific word for these these spirits and they're afraid that they're either going to be sent to the abyss by jesus or maybe even directly to the lake of fire before their time so these are not friendly spirits right so we have different kinds of spirits that are going on so we have to be aware of that and that Humans aren't ghosts. Humans sleep. So whatever spirit it is, you've got three choices. One is a good angel, one is an evil angel, and one is the, the, the demonic spirit of, of, a, of a giant that's still roaming around. And we know there are spirits of these giants, but not all of them um, are roaming because in Ezekiel 32, you have Pharaoh speaking as a beast king to fellow beast kings of the terrible ones who were slain for the terrible things that they did on earth and these are the kings of the of the dynasties back there and they're in the sides of the abyss uh, along where you know side where the fallen angels were were locked into who uh, were impassioned and probably did the worst violations against the earth and against humanity and against creation are there not all fallen angels are there some of them are still out there roaming around so when you get into are some of them good and some of them evil within polytheism you have a macro dualism and a micro dualism if i can put it that sort of way so in the macro dualism they raise satan to be the same same type of being an equal to the god of the bible that they're in this perpetual good versus evil war um with 
the followers of polytheism believing they're the enlightened ones and the illuminated ones and the good people and the people of the Bible and followers of the God of the Bible are evil. And just as we would look at me being a Christian, I would look at them as being deceived and uh, doing the evil thing. So you have that macro level, but that's different than what goes on within their belief system when you get into the micro dualism. And what I mean about that within their culture, you have white magic and you have black magic. You have good magicians, you have evil magicians, you have good witches, you have evil witches, you have good Nephilim, you have evil Nephilim. Um, and so within that comes out this concept that the ones who are not using the knowledge that they have for complete evil uh, are also looking after the betterment of humankind. The thing is, though, all of them worship the same gods and the same pantheon. They're not like they're good Christians or they're good loyal angels. They are following in the ways of the rebellious ones who have the spirit of Cain that they want all humans and demigods to be. And they want humans and the demigods they created and their descendants to do horrible things against humankind. And so when we look at, are there some good ones? I guess that depends on what you define as good. I would say if any of these beings uh, in a physical sort of sense uh, would follow God and accept Jesus as their savior, then that would make them good. And they would, we would see that manifested in good things. And they have that free choice. But if they remain part of the pantheon, no, that, that sort of cancels that sort of out. They may be wanting to do good things, but they're going to be driven to do sort of evil things just so, kind of based on, um, you know, what, the, what their belief system is. So you have... This, this concept of all, I think you're also talking about, uh, you know, sort of physically interacting. And yes. I think there is a way that beings can, uh, who are spirit beings that can interact physically in the physical world. And there's an interesting word that is in Jude 1.6 that is um, talking about the angels who left their habitation in heaven. And you also have another verse in... First Chronicles uh, 5.2, that's talking about the house in heaven mm -hmm. as versus a house in, in the, you know, in the physical world, in the, in the earth. And both of those words go back to the Greek word oiketarian, which means a dwelling place for the spirit. And in the New Testament, we're, we're taught that a physical being has a body and a soul and a spirit that comes from heaven and it merges with the soul and only Jesus and God can separate that spirit. And so if you think about having a dwelling place for your spirit to interact in the spirit world is required. And there's also um, a dwelling place on the earth for the spirit uh, that word oiketarian that is defined as a dwelling place for the spirit starts to make some sense. So if a spirit angel wants to interact physically in the world, to eat, drink, talk, touch, 
uh, have people touch them, just as the angels show up physically in the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative. And just before that, when um, the three, um, Jesus, you know, sort of a pre-Jesus and two angels take a physical presence to interact with Abraham, you understand they can take a physical body. If they have a physical body, that's where that spirit from heaven is dwelling in that soul and that body that they created for that. And fallen angels would have done the same thing. And being in this world for a long period of time that's already been corrupted, they would be corrupted within that physical body. And that may have helped lead them to do some of the things that they did, like create giants, which now they are, because they're in that physical body, they can um, pass on the DNA and their offspring would have some of their traits. And it would include a counterfeit spirit that we would be talking about. And it would include super strength, probably super sizes they're described and other traits as well, including looking like the fallen angels. So when you look at like the seraphim, for example, they're serpent-faced angels and they're, they're thought to be the watchers that are described in Daniel 4 and in Genesis 6, just as the watchers included uh, four groups, archangels, Ophanim, Cherubim, and a seraphim. And in some cases, you get the cherubim who are sort of classified as the uh, eagle-faced Anunnaki watchers that we see showing up in Sumeria. They also produce offspring where you get a lot of these bird-type Nephilim that show up in ancientology. And they're known as the Tengu in Southeast Asia and the Zabalba and the Kamazots and in, in, in the Kishamaya with the Kishamaya out of the Popol Vuh. And a similar kind of creation, just as you have all of the gods for the most part, not all, but most of the gods represented in that serpentine look, which is that uh, seraphim look, and the kings look just like them. And they were just described in ancient times as being serpents. I'm talking about the kings. So they look like their fathers. So you've got that aspect that these evil spirits of the demons, once the technology catches up, and I think we're getting very close to that. You could create this oiketarian for a demon spirit to physically interact in the world. The only way they can do that today is, is to possess a human body where you tend to have kind of a war going on with uh, the host. And it's not a symbiotic relationship. Uh, you have also the ability uh, of some of the adepts in the occult religions and, and the higher up they go, they are somehow in inviting in demons that will add some knowledge and, and, and wisdom to them. But there's still, I mean, it's not clear to me that that is completely symbiotic because once the demon gets in there, it's going to want to control you. And then the third kind of spirits that can operate within a body is the understanding that the gods, the fallen angels, incarnate into be people um, like Buddha. So Vishnu would have incarnated into uh, Buddha. Or you would have had, for example, Shiva incarnating into Narashima. And they did this several times. And Buddha was given significant wisdom uh, by this incarnation through through Buddha, just as the end time Antichrist is often called Lord Maitreya or the or the new Buddha, and that 
Narashima, just to continue that, this thought is this lion-like demigod, just as Aslan in uh, Lewis's tales is the incarnation as he imagines it would be with Jesus in another world. And this is not how Jesus comes to our world because you have a body created by the Holy Spirit and a soul within Mary that's going to be the Oikotarian for Jesus so that he can come and atone for the sins of the world as the creator of the world at the behest and command of God. And so it's a, it's a different concept than the avatar, avatara concept. But any of this stuff that is going on where you have these spirits taking over a body is not biblical and it's not from how things ought to be and how you would honor you know, the God of, of, of the universe. It's completely polytheist doctrine and polytheist policies. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. It's interesting. So we have the disembodied mm -hmm. spirit of the Nephilim, which are the demoniac. What about technology? So I think it was the last time that we talked, it was like right towards the end of the episode. And I asked, hey, do you think that these spirits can inhabit technology? A robot, there's no resistance there. It's not like there's an internal soul and spirit that is going to be resisting. So these entities are mm -hmm. obviously seeking habitation, kind of slowly being warmed up to this idea through movies, obviously books. It's not far-fetched. You had movies like iRobot, the Terminator series from in the 90s when I'm a little kid sitting on the floor. My dad used to watch this stuff. There was always something where I'm going, if a robot's evil, like, what's the entity that's operating there? Like, that was always a big question I had as a kid. I was thinking about that and I didn't even have the context or the background to really understand how it was possible, but I had this inkling, my gut feeling then. You know, you look at the ghost hunting TV shows that it seems like people are enamored with, right? I mean, uh, you see it all over TV. There's social media groups, ghost hunters, clubs, and you name it. And supposedly spirits can speak through technology. Do you think that very well could be an option for advanced robotics to be a vessel to be inhabited by any of these fallen spirits? Yeah, I, I think so. Just as, you know, in the, you know, the Old Testament, there's a few bizarre references to um, talking idols, right? Was, uh, whether or not, uh, how common that was. But I think if, it, I would I would fall 10 more into, I think there might be, an easier case to be made because I don't understand how that would form an oikotarian for uh, the demonic spirit, maybe more for a fallen angel, but, okay. um, but for a demonic spirit, I think technology would serve more easily as an oikotarian that would be able to house that spirit. And, you know, again, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, gremlins in the system and, but I think there's something too that within the internet, within the tech, technology that spirits have the abil ability to um, sort of exist. We may not be having seeing them existing in the way that they would like to exist, but the technology is continually advancing. When we look at what people who work in advancing heavy technology, um, they seem to be talking to spirit guides or to aliens or whatever that list of beings that you want to want to call them that is providing them knowledge to help ramp us up i think that knowledge is being used to create that dwelling place for the demons at every sort of level of of that development 
And one of the names that sort of comes up, and I don't know whether you've heard it, but it's been dropped several times, and I don't think it's coincidental, is that a lot of this knowledge is being spearheaded and funneled through an individual named Metatron. Mm -hmm. And if you're not familiar with Metatron, he is uh, an individual in the Book of Third Enoch. And he's, he's, he's actually Enoch, but his name changes to, to Metatron, and he's raised to angelic-type status, or the Son of God-type of status is more accurate to what it says, because of his knowledge. And this is the name that people are saying that they're, they're communicating with. So it's kind of interesting. I think it's still probably demonic as opposed to Enoch, son of Cain, but it's, it's too much of a coincidence and that we're seeing so much of that meta sort of word, whether or not it's the metaverse with the superheroes that sort of take their uh, history back into different kinds of, of, of Nephilim and created chimera type of beings, which again, were just, you know, we're developing at, a, at an extraordinarily reckless rate uh, without understanding where, where it's really going to take us. So I think, and, and then you look at like Facebook, I mean, they've just changed their name to Meta. I mean, their Facebook uh, logo looked a lot like Tubal Cain's logo as, <laughs> and now they're calling themselves Meta as that, as a, as the greater sort of company, a corporate company. So they tend to name and do their symbolism and iconology after their their polytheist history. So it tends to suggest to me that we we are creating a system somehow, some way, whether it's through transhumanism, through robots or cloned bodies, that we're going to see these demon spirits physically interact with us again in the in the world as we get closer to the end time one of my favorite albert einstein quotes is he says i fear the day technology surpasses human interaction and that day we have a generation of idiots right so i look at metaverse and honestly it, it the first thing that pops into my mind when that was being heavily advertised i, I don't know a few months back i kept thinking about when jesus said do not be deceived do not be deceived do not be deceived I couldn't help but connect that an imaginary world, a virtual reality world that is is in representation of the real world from visuals to interactions to hearing and operating in this imaginary realm. What better way to deceive people to get their minds off the truth or to keep them so calloused over, you know, they can't hear the truth because they're worshiping this form of technology or, or anti-social social media. Um, that's what it made me think of right away. I, I'm not interested in virtual reality. I'm interested in where my physical yeah. feet are and where I'm actually going. And a lot of the times I'm the simple guy that's helping his neighbor. <laughs> you know, so I mean, honestly, Gary, we're living in strange times. And, and I just we are. love talking we with are. you because you connect a couple dots where I'll have certain rabbit trail thought processes and you'll say certain things where I'm just like, man, that's so crucial. The reason why I brought up what was your perspective on if there's good entities with a physical body is because you hear a lot of anecdotal evidence of Bigfoot. Not all of them are violent. Now, I, now I get it. You know that Bigfoot's another controversial creature. Some people laugh at that. Some people take that very seriously. But I can't help but uh, all the years that I've listened to um, encounters on other shows, some of these creatures seem very docile. They're very calm. I mean, some of them are even said to have helped lost children. 
And some of that even goes back pretty far in um, history. There was a story from like the 1800s where a young man went missing for, I think he said it was five days that it ended up being like five years. It was some really weird story. And, you know, he was involved with this cave creature and there was like a beautiful princess that was captured. It was wild stuff. I mean, I read it and I, I was viewing it as a form of entertainment, but still. Uh, the consistency of seeing this tunicua, as the, some of the Indians would call it, or Sasquatch, right, or Bigfoot, um, this creature, you hear both sides of the spectrum. Oh, no, it was nice. It's a peaceful creature. The American Indians, you know, declared as the one who doesn't want to be seen. And mm -hmm. they have oral traditions that go back a pretty long time. But And another thing, the reptilians you were talking about, you know, this reptilian race, there's also American Indian stories based upon reptilian people that live under the earth and if i'm not mistaken out in california there was a, a tribe in particular that actually said that they climbed out of the earth they were birthed right. from that race so i mean it's difficult because i'm like i'm zooming into the microcosm and then i try to zoom back out to the macro real quick to click a puzzle piece together so it can kind of seem like i'm jumping wildly but but in the twister of the way that i'm hearing and seeing and going through this research and these these testimonies and the ancient accounts the biblical narrative i believe it to be wholeheartedly true now who's delivering um the biblical message is what i would contend right i don't think everybody's a teacher and i think there's a lot of sleeping members who are uh, obviously being rocked to sleep by bad doctrine but you see it all kind of click together it's critical. It's imperative that this conversation is brought up. If people want to bat their eyes at some of the stuff that we're talking about, other guests I've had on, what they talk about, that's okay. They have that choice to do so. But I know that there's hungry hearts out there, just like me, want to know these the answers to these questions. So, well, and it, and and it's important um, as events unfold that we're a little bit more prepared by getting some of this information out, so that you people can better digest what they're going on and not be as easily deceived because everything is designed to lead you away from God Absolutely. in this approach. And that, uh, to, to worship the, you know, the fallen angels and to rebel against God and, and to join with them. So it's important to, to understand how they're going to come, you know, come at us to deceive people and even the elect, um, as, uh, Jesus told us, and he and he went out of his way to forewarn us on that, and explicitly that you know even even the elect will be deceived, and we need to we need to understand things very well scripturally, and understand how that sort of interacts with with the rest of the world, so we can better understand what they're going to do, because the delusions are going to be you know absolutely absolutely astronomical um and unbelievable we can't imagine uh, what's going to happen i mean the frenetic pace of the events that are happening today and the crazy things that we thought you know probably couldn't wouldn't happen they're already happening and this is just the beginning of a world being turned upside down and prepared for the end time so it's important to to, to understand this and for and and I as you know as you you were mentioning I fully understand that um, a lot of people aren't ready for this but if you're hearing a little bit of this just keep it as a seed because you'll start to see more of what 
so many of us are talking about coming into fruition. It's just a matter of what will you do when you recognize that? Wow. Very well said. I, I can't help but, you know, think about, you know, history kind of looks like it repeats itself at times, but then the Bible has these, you know, climaxes. Jesus says things like, it shall be like the days of Noah at, at the end of the age. And I look at, I'm a history buff, right? That was one of my favorite topics. Well, you don't, there's no weird fringe things that are going to be in this standard, you know, general census uh, history being taught to kids. It's like there's such an effort to conceal what's really going on. And it webs and weaves itself into every little category where it actually, and, and then you have the Hollywood aspect where they're entertaining us with the quarter truth or the half truth, however you want to, you know, carry that out with thought. Uh, they're entertaining us in movies with topics that I think are closer to the truth yet not being so in detail, but they're obviously depicting what I think is really going on, especially when we're considering the biblical narrative in context, just what it says. And a lot of the churches, they're just not ready for it. I don't know how we could be experiencing what we are and for pastors not, I don't, I've talked with pastors. I, I have respect for anybody who talks on behalf of the crucifixion and the resurrection that the Messiah has come in the flesh and covered the chasm so that we as God's creation can have uh, have the chasm covered. I, you know, I don't care if you're a Navy SEAL swimmer or a guy in a wheelchair. If we drop you in the ocean, you're not going to swim from Europe to America. That's the chasm that Christ covered for us. You can be top notch or have no legs. It doesn't matter. You're not going to make it. Christ did that, right? So I, I truly understand that that's the core and the essence of why I do the weird things I do with the show. And and honestly. Gary, a lot of the cool conversations happen off air. I can't even tell you how many conversations I've had with people. I'm like a magnet. They just come to me and, you know, tell me weird things they've seen or experienced. And I always, I'm willing to go down the rabbit trail with people, but I always point them back to the biblical narrative. I always point them back to Christ. And then obviously when they start asking questions that I can't handle, I'm like, go check out Gary Wayne, you know, let's check out Derek Gilbert. You know, I'll, I'll usher them towards people that obviously um have, the calling to dig into these these topics help expose the darkness you know the bible says have no doings no no companionship with darkness but expose it expose the the works of darkness that's that's the way my brain works i look at it and in the world we're living in today the chaos the confusion a million messages a million, a million signals causing confusion and chaos and i'm literally trying to balance out god what do you have and plan for me? Why am I weirdly drawn back to these topics? Like, believe me, I've tried to throw the podcast out intentionally and unintentionally with what happened last year. And I've tried to walk away from this stuff, but I can't, I feel a tugging, like, listen, it's on the horizon. It's going to start to make sense. And I think he's going to give his spirit to um, those who believe. And I think we're going to counteract this darkness with power on behalf of what God's plans are moving forward. But right now it's this really weird time, in my opinion, where there's certain people that are kind of like, they're rising up and listening and they're going, hold on. Because just in my little bubble, Gary, I have guys that used to make fun of me 10 years ago about topics like this. And literally there's, there's a couple of them that are, they text me, they, they tell me stuff, they call me, they talk, you know, when they see me, they're like, Hey man, you know, what do you think about this? And you can see that, that there's a change. 
Um, I don't know what's yeah. going on in Oklahoma. I don't know what's going on in Florida. I know what's going on in southeastern Pennsylvania because I'm out here all the time. I mean, this is this is where I was born and raised, and it's a very peculiar time right now. Now, when you were mentioning the elementals, real quick, I didn't want to forget this one. You talked about them like inhabiting territory. The reason I ask is sometimes those who are sensitive in the spirit will move into an area, right? Like I recently drove um, right outside of Philly and went down to Delaware. This is just a few days ago. And I felt a heaviness, a heaviness when I was going through Wilmington, Delaware. I mean, I'm right, right on 95. And it, it was weird as soon as I came out of it and you couldn't see, you know, the skyline in the background, it, it lifted. And I'm sensitive to that kind of stuff. And I don't try to make something out of nothing. But that's what I felt. Do you think that there literally are dominions? And what, what exactly did you mean by these elementals? How do you think that they operate? Well, they're operating within the organized hierarchy. So dominions are one order of angels. You know, principalities are, are another. Powers are another. And might, mighties are another. And, you know, typically... As you get in doctrine, there's nine sort of orders that are listed. I think there's probably one more, and in my in my coming book, I'll, I'll, I'm detailing what that what those are um, by name and by their Hebrew and Greek names and where they fit in in the hierarchy. And so when you get into the elementals, they're at the lower level. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking angelic, but we fight both things we can see and beings that we can't see, right? And it's the ones on earth that are carrying out the exact same thing in the physical world as what goes on in, in the spiritual world. And in that world, you have this host of rebellious angels and host of heaven and the host of the rebellious one. The word host goes back to the Hebrew word Saba, oh, wow. which means an army. And that denotes rank and order. So you have, you know, archangels and you have seraphim and you have cherubim and the ophanim, which are ones that are watchers around the throne and thought to be, you know, in the top upper tier. But that doesn't fit with the typical three that's there because there's four groups of watchers and they typically, you know, move the uh, arch archangels down a, a level or two. But mm -hmm. that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Um but that's another rabbit hole. But anyways, what I'm trying to say, there's a hierarchy here. And so in the hierarchy, that is going to denote um, region and space mm. and that the hierarchy is going to extend through in the world that is run by Satan. He is the prince and the god of this world. So if you can imagine then psalm 82 with the council of god that there is a council that is a counterfeit of the council of angels and the council of god in heaven which is operating to run the earth and then you have uh 70 nations as deuteronomy 32 talks about that you know numbers the patriarchs um in, that are listed in the uh table of nations in Genesis 10 and 1 Chronicles in the same number as the sons of Jacob born in Egypt and the same number of sons born to Adam before the flood. These are the nations that the Council of Nations rule over. And then their spurious offspring. And when I mean spurious offspring, 
actually mean that in that sort of literal sense that as the offspring of them, that illegitimate offspring in the demigods who were created to rule the earth. So if you can imagine the beast dynasties right out of the gate after the flood, just as they were, as they took over the dynasties before the flood, they're going to rule over realms and nations, and they're going to honor the pantheon of God, the mystical religions that come down through all of the nations, except through Israel. And this is going to be expanded as they expand through the earth. So you're going to have this sort of hierarchy that extends down through the earth, all over the earth and governed over by the invisible ones. And one could also imagine that this would extend into the earth somehow, some way, just as there's this physical place that a lot of people like to call Hades or the underworld or the other world or Anwin. Or in the Bible, we would understand it as a Sheol. And it's very unfortunate that the Bible translators conflate three terms into one word, hell, because they're actually different places. Right. Um, you have the lake of fire that's separate from the underworld. You have uh, Sheol, which is Hades. And within Hades in a separate place, you also have the abyss or the bottomless pit or the pit, as it's described in the Bible. That's in, uh, again, a separate location within the underworld or, or shale but it's stink place there and it makes it more difficult to, to to understand what is actually being talked about and they do that so they can allegorize way the uh the lake of fire because they don't want to <laughs> admit that that could be in place i'm talking about the fault polytheists because they don't want to go there right yeah. obviously so um but when we have this understanding that there's this there's something in the earth whether it's in another dimension or otherwise, they rule over that as well, right? Just as you have gods of the underworld um, that are talked about within the various pantheons around the world, and it's in all of the pantheons. Now, we can actually sort of make a connection back to that, to Jesus, where he is the one who goes into the underworld to talk to the imprisoned fallen angels that are in the abyss in the underworld while he was still in the grave. And I think he was sending a message to them that when I resurrect on the Sunday, your rebellion is over. You have time to create some more destruction, but you are going to the lake of fire, just as the book of Matthew talks about that the lake of fire is reserved for those fallen angels. So we can connect the abyss and the underworld back there, just as Revelation takes us back, that these things are going to be released in the end time, that are going to join up with all of the fallen angels that weren't sent to the abyss, and you're going to have the war in heaven, and they're all going to be sent down to the earth along with Satan um, at the midpoint of the of the last seven years. Now, we can also take this back to connect uh, through the Ugaritic text that you were talking about earlier, and... Um, in in the portals and things that are in in the covenant land region so there's a place called gilgal raphaim which is the wheel of the giants so the wheel of the spirits and in that site and it's sort of a wheel like uh, setting you have and that's where the word gilgal comes from in that application if it's a an angelic being you're going to have the word ofan and then i am is the male plural those are the angels in the wheels in the vision in ezekiel 1 and 10 along with the cherubim and and the chariot of, of god that is depicted there in that vision 
Um, but in the Ugarit, you have over a hundred portals that are there. Now, when you get into the Ugaritic texts, which talk about the creation of the Raphaim, which is the Semitic word for Raphaim, the root Semitic word, they're created by Baal and Ashtaroth and the Baalim out of Mount Hermon after the flood. And the gods would go back between the underworld and the heaven through these portals. And the Raphaim, the Raphaim, had the same ability. And then that takes you into Ezekiel 38, just to sort of double tap down on the existence of this underworld. You have the passengers that are talked about or the travelers that are talked about, depending on which English translation in Ezekiel 39 in the Gog War, in an end time war. You take that word back and it's the Hebrew word abar, which means to cross over. And as it's used in the book of Job and a few other places to cross over from Sheol, from the place, you know, where the dead are. So um, and, and, and the dead as in the Raphaim spirits where they roam. Wow. And so you get these connections that they have dominion over these locations until the end time is is resolved. And if you understand that, then you have to say, okay, how is that being implemented? It's through a hierarchy and that on the earth, you have the descendants of the giants that are basically operating that through their, uh, you know, mystical religions. And then you have these other creatures that are somehow interacting with them from this underworld dimension who are part of that organizational structure and exerting their influence on it. They're running messages back and forth, aren't they? It makes yeah. me think like, so Jesus rebukes the storm. That's interesting, right? You know, this isn't just rain coming down out of the clouds. This is, this is some type of activity that's happening um, as yeah, and... tells us he commands it to stop. Yeah, and storms are related to fallen angels. Absolutely. Now, what about Pan? I think it's the Greek or the Roman pantheon. It's like this half goat boy, and he's notorious um, in the ancient times for playing the music over an area mm -hmm. or a location that would cause fear and confusion. Now, I think mm -hmm. about that and the frequency of fear. I don't know how to compartmentalize what the nine levels where that would fall, but obviously the, these are the things that are written in history. And a lot of people who have experiences with, you know, dark activities will talk about a paralyzed level of fear. It takes over control of your body. You can't move. I was in fear. I was stuck. I even, um, when I talked with L.A. Marzulli a few years ago, he talked about a gentleman that went up to um, the serpent, serpent Stonehenge or whatever he was calling it in Ohio. And the guy mm -hmm. literally did something knocked him in his solar plexus and he falls back and, you know, he had fear at first and then was stuck. He couldn't move and was praying and praying. And, but anyway, long story short, you know, we have a pandemic. What do you think a pandemic does? It's just like widespread fear. We do, we're just coming out of, you know, this frequency of fear. And I can't help but yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's an enemy's tactic. They rule by fear and terror. That's what they do. God, and they like I mean, to terrorize humans. Don't fear. Do not be afraid. The Lord God will be with you. So that's definitely interesting to me. Well, you know, and, and that pan god, it uh, that's an interesting creature that seems to show up after the flood. And it is very much connected to the satyrs that are described 
after the flood, whether they're a devil goat god uh, or devil god as they're described, but you take that back to Hebrew, it's the word satir. And then you actually get the word satir that shows up in Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 34 as these angelic type beings that are dancing at the destruction of Babylon. And then in, in Isaiah 34, dancing at the destruction of Armageddon that's coming. And so that's interesting that Azazel, who is the leader of the Watchers, is depicted as a goat god. You've got other gods like Bacchus in the Roman pantheon. There's a few other derivatives in the Greek pantheon as well. You've got Cern that's in the Etruscan pantheon for the goat god. You've got Cernunos in the uh, Druidic pantheon. But what's really interesting about that word satyr, it's uh, transliterated. It has It's an essay with kind of an apostrophe and then it goes in with the, it won't be with the T as it's coming out of Hebrew. It's actually Sa'ir, so it's I-Y-R. Now, what's really interesting about that is, as I mentioned, Watchers shows up four times in the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. And that word Watcher goes back to the word Ayir. Oh uh, which is God. rooted in another word that means to be awake. Uh, but these are watchers, right? Because they're awake all of the time, watchful over over the throne. And that the, the word S-A, and this is a hyphenated word as we would understand it in English. So this is a compound word that comes from a word that means hairy or shaggy. What? And so, yeah, so what you're getting for a definition out of there is it's a shaggy goat and a goat god. And this seems to me is some form of degraded watcher, probably a seraphim, yeah. down to a satyr level. And yet there's still that kind of promiscuity from them while they're allowed to walk on the earth after the flood for a short period of time because they're, they're they show up in most cultures just as you know lewis seems to be taken with having satires in some of his works <laughs> when we read a little bit about like hercules we hear he has these nine labors so do you think that these yeah. entities are warring with each other as well throughout history because if Hercules is um, considered possibly to be one of the mighty men of valor that the Bible makes reference mm -hmm. to, right? These brave, mighty men of valor, times of old. So he's going and mm -hmm. killing this, I think it's the Nehemiah lion, if I'm saying that correctly. And it's supposed to be this, some bizarre lion who's got like unpierceable skin. A chimera. A yeah. chimera, yeah. Chimera so these okay. entities, even at times, are warring with each other, it kind of sounds like. Oh, they are. I mean, and the centaurs warred with the, with the Nephilim as well. And they were designed to create war and havoc and stuff on earth. So there's going to be rivalries. Now, typically the Nephilim and the Raphim, they're working directionally in the same agenda, but it's still all about power. At the end of the day, they want to produce the dragon Messiah out of those bloodlines. And there can only be one family that's going to rule. So there's going to be rivalries. And in the end time, we're told by Jesus in, in Mark and Matthew and also in the epistles of John uh, that there will be many antichrists. So mm -hmm. there's going to be a, a lot of these antichrist, antichrist type figures sort of step forward. So and Hercules is exactly a man of valor. I mean, he is a demigod in, in antiquity. A demigod is defined as the offspring of a god and a human female or a human male uh, with a goddess. Um, and in Greek mythology, both the goddesses and the gods produced offspring. 
And so Zeus is said to be the father of Hercules through a human female. And so he's definitely your, your sort of perfect example of a Nephilim that is, or a Raphaim probably more accurately, that, that's described in the Bible that was before the flood. And you have parent gods and offspring gods in polytheism. So you tend to seem to have like uh, the parent gods creating the Nephilim before the flood. And then the offspring gods like Baal, who's the son of El, um, who takes over after the flood because the parent gods probably were sent to the abyss. And they're going to recreate Nephilim themselves. And Zeus is an offspring god, as all the Olympian gods after the flood are. And I think Hercules is sort of understood as both a post-Diluvian giant and an antediluvian giant because a lot of the post-Diluvian giants took their names from the antediluvian giants. And a classic example of that, other than Hercules, because the stories and the gods, they don't quite line up and unless you insert that there's a flood and you have different rulers on both sides of the flood, offspring gods after, parent gods before. Gilgamesh shows up in Enoch Book of Giants as being part of the vision and going to Enoch and I think son of Cain in this case to see whether there's anything they could do to prevent the flood from coming. But yet Gilgamesh shows up again after the flood as being um, created again after the flood between a, uh, a goddess again and a human. And you would think it's Lugalbanda because that's listed as his father as a king of Uruk. And so you get within Gilgamesh, one before the flood and one after the flood. And we know Gilgamesh is Nephilim because he's described as two-thirds God and one-third human, just as Enkidu is. So yeah, I think you have a lot of things that are going on that make sort of those direct sort of parallels that, you know, there is there was a time after the flood where these angels walked among us. And that's what they're trying, just as they did before the flood, and that's what they're trying to bring about again in the new Atlantis. Yeah, and we're kind of seeing that manifest in, in some interesting ways with where technology is going. CERN, for example, I don't know if any of us really know exactly what's going on there. Obviously, we can go read about what's depicted. The Sinocephalus, um, do you know anything about dogmen? The Greeks called them Sinocephalus. I don't know. Sinocephaly, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, obviously, everybody knows Anubis. But that's a sh- it's a show in itself, oh, right? Well, hey man, that's the appearance number three. We're gonna dogman. Yeah. <laughs> and we talk about all, all the different kinds of uh, Nephilim, but dogman is you know it's recorded throughout history. Yes, right. Uh, in in all continents, and even yeah. up to you know the time of you know about a thousand A.D. of these Nephilim kinds of warriors. And what's interesting is is that you mentioned Anubis, which is a jackal god an apparent god and that he produced offspring and they were warrior offspring that looked like him so dog-like and they lived in a place called dog city called uh Sinoopolis so <laughs> yeah i mean you can't make this stuff no, up and it's can't. all recorded in 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 history and uh what's interesting though is we get a god in the bible that is a god of the Avim. And if the people don't 
know who the Avim are, they are part of the Raphaim after the flood. They're a different vernacular name or a different tribe of the original Raphaim. Okay. And this is the Avim, not in the um, area of Gaza. These are Eastern Avim as they're depicted. And the God that they're worshiping is the God Nibaz, N-I-B-A-Z. -E hmm. And that's defined as the barking God. Oh. <laughs> I, I kid you not. You can't make yes. well, it. All of you, it has you, you this just, weird twist yeah. where it's how do they etch it in rock? How is it in every culture and every piece of history? It just lines up. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested in Dog Man. It seems to be like a, a hot topic right now too. I know a lot of other people covering a lot of encounters on different shows. You know, they're inviting guests on who supposedly had encounters with this creature yeah we can walk through all the different cultures and we'll make more bible so connections because cool. i always I always like to take things back to that do we get any sort of accounting of that in the bible and yeah you know yeah. it's akin to the linemen of moab right it's the same concept well you blew my mind last time you were on last october because you talked about the lion men and the same thing you're doing to me tonight I can't write because I, I keep muting my mic because I'm over here going, what? Oh my gosh. And I'm trying to write something down and then unmuting the mic to, to try to be a part of this. You're causing a lot more questions to flow out. And this is what I love because the issue is the truth is clearly stranger than fiction. We're seeing it kind of slowly, uh, veils thinning and things are starting to happen where the people that used to shake their head and wag their tail at this kind of information are lining up with questions. I believe a lot of people have had weird dreams, experiences, feelings, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of people are scared to talk about it. The Bible, I'm not ashamed of it. And it says some really weird stuff. I tell people, the Bible's not going to disappear if you ask them really tough questions. If you go, through, if yeah. you're reading through and you're, and God's saying, hey, go wipe out these tribes, don't leave nobody alive. Well, the argument used to be from people who actually didn't know the word. Oh, how could you serve a God that's so cruel? The context of the Bible is these are Nephilim tribes. The Bible directly is giving us the depiction of what these tribes were up to. We're talking cannibalistic, literally set out to destroy God's creation, literally turning the world mm -hmm. upside down. This is not some story gone wrong at your Sunday service at church where like the little kids are down there and send them all downstairs, right? Because even if we get close to a verse where if somebody read ahead and came back next week and asked the question, why did God say, go kill all these people? We don't want, you know, we don't want to go there. And, and the church needs to, we need to just let the Bible mean exactly what it says there. And then the diligence, like the Bereans, they studied daily with all readiness of mind to accept that which was true in accordance with God's writing. Man, it's an exciting time to be alive. You get me charged up, man. I'm, I'm super excited talking with you because you just caused me to go deeper and further. I'm just the guy next door. I started out with weird questions, a couple unique experiences of my own. Well, quite, quite a few actually over the course of my life. And it's just catapulting me into realizing the deeper I go into the word, the more it doesn't contradict itself, the more it actually paints a vivid picture precise uh, about all the other things that that are taking place in this this world that we live in including times past and what's yet to be unraveled gary for me the the bible is the most supernatural book ever written absolutely and it's a roadmap it's a history and and it's a roadmap and it gives you everything you need to know to understand this world but you have to open your eyes to understand that the brainwashing that we get every day is dumbing down 
what they don't want us to understand and what they don't want us to see. So it's a bit of, bit of a shocker, but the deeper you go into the Bible, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, all things written in the Bible are, are important. All the details are important. And to have our churches not teach prehistory and prophecy is not doing service to our people, whether or not we're in the fig tree generation or not. Yeah. It's still required to understand the world that, that, that we're living in. And, you know, when I look at, you know, when I say all details are important, I mean, because I come at this as a contrarian in terms of how I came back to Christ is that I tend to try and verify everything for myself. And I, you know, I don't rely on what other people say. And then I see how that sort of makes some sense. And so, you know, I learned quickly that all of the details in the Bible are important. I may not be able to connect dots right now, but I know there's something, there's a reason why that's in the Bible. And, you know, when you're referencing that people don't understand that the conquest of the covenant land was against not only just the Raphaim, but the hybrid Raphaim humans as well. And there's two different sets of people. They're working together, you know, the Canaanites, uh, you know, we're living amongst the Raphaim. I was surprised, sort of bring my point to full circle, that people didn't understand why nine of the 12 Canaanite tribes don't have a patriarch. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever questions it. They're just a group of people. They are just, you know, a family of Canaanites. You get Canaan and you get Heth and you get Sidon, but the rest, well, they just must be from those three well then why weren't they listed as subgroups as they are in the rest of the table of nations by each of those patriarchs because they're because the bible is telling you something is not quite right with these other tribes at least from their creation and you know we don't get rafa as a patriarch for the raphaim that shows up uh, in genesis uh, 14 and 15 as a tribe of people and just as Raphaim shows up for giant 25 times in the Old Testament uh, for the root word for giant, uh, but Raphaim only shows up two times, as I just mentioned, of those 23 in the Bible. And what's also interesting is, is that there's another tribe called the Anakim mm-hmm. that show up in Numbers 13 um, and other passages, but I'll come back to a connection on Numbers 13 in a second. But the Anakim... Um, they are a tribe of giants that are described in, in Deuteronomy 2, and that they're mentioned twice, and they're specifically um, said to be giants, which is the Hebrew word Rapha, and the, so they're either a division of the Raphaim or just a vernacular name. It's hard, hard to know, but there's different tribes, as they're called, and that the Anakim had a patriarch, and it's not Rapha. His name is Arba which is the greatest of the Anak and the patriarch for the Anak. And his name is mentioned twice, but his name doesn't show up in the table of nations because he's a Rephaim. So if you take that sort of understanding and you say, wait a minute, so why aren't, why don't the Amorites have a name there like Amar or something to that effect? as being one of, uh, as a patriarch because the patriarch would have probably had a name similar to that and did but was a Raphaim so that name's not listed so you learn that daughters of the Canaanites Hethites 
and Sidonites or Sidonians would have intermarried with Raphaim to create these hybrid humans. And that would have also overtaken that intermarriage in in Heth and in Sidon and in Canaan as well, that they all become these hybrid Raphaim humans. So we get an understanding of who these people are in Numbers 13.33. So first of all, the Anakim are not, are not the descendants of giants, as it shows up in the embellished part of the report, which is the word Nephilim there. It's only used three times, twice in Numbers 13.33 and once for the creation of the Nephilim before the flood. They're described in Deuteronomy 2 as Rephaim. They are a different being. They are post-Diluvian giants that were probably a little bit smaller, but having the terrified disloyal scouts trying to terrify the rest of the Israelite people to not to go into the land. They use the word Nephilim there to create this extraordinarily larger fear. Um, and that testifies to the veracity in itself that the Israelites understood who the Nephilim were before the flood. Earlier on in the report, you have a people that are taller and stronger than the Anakim, mm -hmm. but are distinct from the Anakim. And they are people like the Amalekites, like the Amorites, like the Canaanites. I won't go through all the names that are listed there. And in Deuteronomy 1, you get the accurate part of the report of the details confirmed by Moses 40 years later in Deuteronomy 1. And again, it talks about the Anakim, which includes the uh, three kings of uh, Sheshai, Talmai, and Ahiman. And these are the descendants of Anak. So Anak might be the fourth one as a patriarch, um, but they're not the descendants of the Nephilim, as the embellished report says. They're the descendants of Anak. And there are these other people like the Amorites who are taller than the Israelites. These are ones who intermarried with the purebred Raphaim and produced giants that were more seven to nine feet tall versus, say, 10 to you know 16 feet tall. And if you classify the Epic of Gilgamesh's account and his height, he would have been uh, as accurate. He would have been 19 feet tall. And this is you know after the flood. So the Nephilim before the flood would have been even taller still. So understanding the details that these are the people that Israel is supposed to go up and fight against and understanding that they had iron weapons and they had chariots and they had all the factories of war and all the strategies of war. And this is a ragtag, you know, nation of slaves. <laughs> and even after the 40 years, they don't have this technology of weaponry and they're going to go up against these giants who have sworn to wipe them from the face of the earth. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, the details are so important and that only with the help of God can they win. And every time they try without the help of God, they get their butts whooped. And so God is going to deliver them up to him. He sends out hornets and does in other places some hailstones, but mostly the accounts are hornets that tended to drive the, the giants crazy and 
put him in a state of panic so the Israelites could just walk onto the field and enslave them. Real quick, let's introduce the, the idea of frequency into that battle-style scenario of Joshua. They march around the walls of Jericho and blow the horns. God created all this stuff. He knows the boundaries of what's what. Angelic hosts can also amplify all the different horns and music equipment that Joshua and his crew were using to bring down the walls of Jericho. Uh, and then obviously your reference with the hornets driving the giants nuts. I mean, that's just crazy. <laughs> that's <just> crazy. <laughs> well, and frequency is, is something that is, is, you know, technology we haven't fully understood to everything that it could do but yet yeah the israelites through instructions were able to bring down these giant walls through frequency uh, music is frequency and in the occult they you know it's one of the mystical arts and the mathematics and there's an energy behind it they try and study and try and harness um, and I think in the ancient world, they, they probably had control over that because they walked with the gods and they were able to, to do such things, well, but on a limited think, scale compared to what God could do. All these ancient cultures, none of what's written and, and any of these details are unfamiliar to them. It's, it's just common knowledge. Like they're talking about it around the table. Like we talk about our travel home from work. So it's going to sound strange to us because the worldview isn't built into the fabric of, of our, our family, our understanding, the way that we view the world around us is clearly different. And that's why it can seem so strange and off at times. Because for me, it's like, I talked with Gary, now my mind's broken, guys, I have to go read and study <laughs> and like, you know, go take a walk, you know, and spend some alone time with God now and process this stuff. And and that's healthy. I mean, I don't say that with like, oh no, it's dread. I say it as in like, it's just lighting up and feeling that feeling I had when I was a kid, like the hope of something so much more. And then life kind of comes at you and starts to crush you when you realize like, oh, uh, they're training me to be a consumer, but I still am holding on to this hope that there's something so much more beautiful. I think a lot of the times we forget the Bible wasn't written for me and you in 2022. Now, is it applicable? Absolutely. Is it the word of God? Yes. It, should we have a biblical filter if we claim we're Christians? 100%. Everything that we consume or, or, or watch or listen to or whatever, entertain, right? What does the Bible say? Take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ, right? It says, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. And it's almost like the enemy is so smart. He designed such a complex system that it actually makes you think, oh, well, for me in the beginning, is it wrong for me to ask weird questions about the Bible? And I, But if anybody are getting that fiery arrow shot at your head going, whoa, this is a little too deep. It's a little too far. Gary really knows his stuff. You know, Rodney's freaking me out because he's super excited about Gary really knowing all these details. And I just don't know what to do with this information. Slow down. Pray. When we approach him. In a humble manner, a broken and contrite spirit, he doesn't reject. And I just really felt like I needed to say that because all this information, it, it can move so fast. And I know I've talked with even friends and family members and they said, hey, I was a little overwhelmed on that episode. You know, just trust God's process. There's so much he wants to show us. Sometimes we're only scratching the surface, you guys. You touched on something that's very, very important is that. There's a common strategy and tactics that's used by the spurious forces. And you can see it in play, particularly as it applies to Christians living in this sea of a corrupt world that is completely dominated by the fallen angels who run 
this world for a little while longer. And the worldview, just as it was back in the time of any of the ancients through the writing of the Bible, was to make sure that you weren't going to get information about God. That was always the worldview. And Israel was this island amongst the sea of Gentile nations, and they were trying to wipe that from, from the face of the earth. And you had this dominating mystical religion, both before and after the flood, that controlled most of the population. And sure, there's been some pushback since uh, Jesus came, but still polytheism is the largest, you know, sort of single religion in the world because they're all part of the same pantheon but the message is is not to question the world not to question who's running things and that is all throughout history and if you do they'll probably kill you is what they used to do and i think that we might see that coming back as we get closer to to the end time or at least persecute you because we have a lot of tribulation that's in front of us if we're if we are in in the fig tree generation that same view or that same tactic is used within the church so we know our churches have been infiltrated and that christians were raised very shortly after the romanization of the church not to question what's in the bible and that um, you know, for the longest time, I mean, like in, in the Roman church and right up to the 1960s, they wouldn't even teach it in English, yeah. in the local language. Everything was in Latin. It's all designed to accept the information from those in charge who most of them, or a lot of them at least, have been either brainwashed or corrupted. And that we ha- once you start to recognize that's one of the tactics then it's quite kind of overwhelming that you need to to understand that you need to question everything, including what's being taught in, in the church. But as you, I think so eloquently put out as a Berean is the way we ought to approach it. Um, And sort of challenge things within our faith as a Berean, and then use that same sort of attitude to challenge outside our community and into the external world, because we would like to have people awaken to what's really going on out there, even though we know it's really overwhelming and they're going to have to sort of come about it in their own time, because it's just, I mean, you just consider the size of the things that we're talking about and it takes time to adapt and, and, and get your head around some of that. But once you do, you start to see things completely different and you cannot go back. We go through these trials, these harder periods of life. Somebody who's ambitious to do the right thing or make it in this life and they're not handed a golden spoon and they struggle and they find themselves falling on their faces. How much greater is the worth of us going through these difficult seasons of life with wanting to know the truth, value of the experience of the hardship and deprivation when we receive the truth at the end of it is so much greater because why would you want to take the easy road or else it wouldn't really mean much god says my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge curious minds listen if i'm in a position where i can help water that seed i'm honored hey there's he who plants he who waters god alone gets the glory he causes the growth 
and I think about how the enemy poisons the mindset of people to believe that if you're going through difficult seasons in life or you're not sequacious, you're not just going with the flow, not floating with the rest of the fish downstream, if you're going against it, they shame you. You know, we see the shame culture. We see all these different tactics the enemy's using. Literally, the little goat dude who's, you know, playing the instrument of fear over top of our cities. God says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Romans talks about all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, I am excited to see a generation of men and women start to rise up and believe what God has spoken and to just by faith start to take those small steps. It can look foolish to the world, and that's okay. The Bible says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who believe, it is the power of God. And now's the time. God is calling each and every single one of us. You're listening to this. It's not by mistake. This is the kind of information that's been lost for so long that now that it's back, it'll feel weird at first. But you guys, the peace that surpasses the understanding the world offers, because if we're lost in the consumer mentality or we're lost in worshiping clothing vehicles relationship drugs travel your job it's never going to fulfill you choose me and my house and we're gonna we're gonna rock out with the bible man unashamed and we're gonna keep talking with gary and everybody else who's willing to talk with us and we're gonna keep sharing it here on the air for you guys to be able to take this journey with us as we experience and we believe and we ask questions Gary, we're kind of winding down here, man. Yeah. Uh, the best way to uh, get a hold of me is through my website at the Genesis6Conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6Conspiracy.com. And on the website, I have a contact the author. So I have a lot of documents that I give out at no charge um, for people. So if there's things that I might have been talking about today, you know, like the patriarchless Canaanites or something like that, um, ask by a topic. If I've got a document, I'll send that to you. If you've got a question, I'll get back to you. It may take me a couple of weeks to get back to you because um, I, I do get a lot of email traffic uh, coming in every day and I spend about three or four hours a day just answering um, questions that come in. Um, but I will get back to you on it. And if you're interested in my book uh, to have a closer look i have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters on the website and uh, even though i have generous excerpts on there it is a small piece of what's in the book and that um, yes. every paragraph and every chapter is loaded with information and it's not something that you can speed read and it keeps coming at you right through chapters one through 98. So you get a good feel for whether or not it's the book for you or not. You can also get a hold of me on, on Messenger, which is probably the second best way to get a hold of me under Gary Wayne or under my timeline on Facebook under Gary Wayne as well. And you can ask a question there or ask a question on Messenger or request information that way as well. And also back on my website, there is an ability if you're um, wanting to, to purchase my book, 
you can con it has, says buy now buy from the author so you can buy a signed copy and oh by the way when my sequel comes out which is specifically 100 percent targeted at christians and how deep this stuff goes uh, i'm already on about chapter 65 i'm going to try and keep it to under 80 and have it out hopefully out by the fall um, and it goes into all the things deeply in terms of what's talked about in angels in the book what's talked about in terms of the nephilim the raphaim all the different nations patriarchal nations and how that prehistory connects into end time prophecy because one of the things you need to do to understand the context of prophecy is understand prehistory because mm -hmm. so much of it is defined there and you can also link over to kindle if you wanted to get the digital version and get the um, kindle version or you can also link over to amazon.com amazon.c and barnesandnoble.com so lots of ways to get a hold of the book um, off of my website it's also available on most online bookstores may not be in your local bookstore but if you did want to support your local bookstore which i fully encourage is they can order it in through bookmasters who distributes the book for my publisher and uh, they can order it on their next order of books gary i am super excited to have you back again in the future sinocephalus right and then this new book that uh, should be out by the fall yeah that, having so um, much fun writing it <laughs> oh i believe you he's, he's like oh i'm gonna try to keep it under uh what, 80 chapters <laughs> <laughs> i know you love being here share this with a friend a family member a co-worker get this episode out there i know that you guys learned something on this episode because i'm blown away at what I've already learned. <laughs> Coming to you from southeastern Pennsylvania, God bless America. Good night. <laughs>